All of us? Okay. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand that what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Word of the Lord. Thank you, Brian. Well, you guys look good. Hey, oh, thanks, Gary. Thank you. Really, thank you. Hey, if you didn't pick up one of those flowers, uh, and if you're not wearing one today, do pick one up on the way out. Uh, if there's more out there, and you know you're going to see a mother that you love, a woman you love, please take that with you. We want to give that as a gift. I know the, the women spend a lot of time. Pam, Montgomery, and Rosemary. Rosemary, where are you? I'm going to recognize you. Rosemary's right in the back. And Jill Cross, right there. They spent a lot of time putting those together, and so thank you for doing that for our mothers. <clears throat> And allowing us to show love towards them and make this uh, even a, just a little more special day. Well, again, welcome to uh, Bergen Park Church. We're glad that uh, you're with us today. You know, one of the questions I was thinking about is, uh, where does the heart of a mother come from? You think of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, where's the mom in that? You know, in Genesis, it says God created them. Male and female, he created them. That there is an essence of maleness and an essence of femaleness, and all of that originates with God. So there's a sense in which when you're watching Jesus, you're watching the Father, you're watching the Holy Spirit, we don't always know when we see an essence of maleness, an essence of femaleness, but it's all in there. Because the heart of the Father contains the heart of a mother in the same way that it contains the heart of the Father. Why is that? Because He's God. And God is complete, and we are created, created in his image and his likeness, which means there's an essence to which I am incomplete in imaging God. Amen for that, because I need that other person. 
I need to see that image of God in woman because that woman images God in a way that I can't or maybe can't to the complete totality. And likewise, there's a uniqueness, the maleness that images God. And so as we celebrate mothers today, there's an essence of motherhood in every single woman. Because within the church, as we step into Jesus, there's a greater calling of motherhood, and that motherhood is to disciple, to care for those. There's a spiritual motherhood. And so today, we want to celebrate with you, but also recognize that I know for many, you know, Mother's Day can be hard. I mean, on the one hand, there's the hope of being a mother. Maybe that's been a challenge in your life, or a child that was lost, or a mother that was lost. And so as we begin the service today, we celebrate women, we celebrate mothers, but we also want to recognize just the difficulty of that, uh, how challenging that can be, and that we need God in a community of people that love us to walk us down that path. So can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we see in you the heart of a mother. You even say that you're like a, a... you, you watch over your children. You call us children. Your heart goes out to us in self-sacrificial love. And Father, you've given us new birth through your own life. And so, Father, we see in you the heart of, of motherhood. We see in you the heart of service, the heart of care. And yet, Father, I, I want to recognize and just pray over this body that, Holy Spirit, you would minister to us for those that may have lost a child or those that have still the hope of a child, Lord, would you bless them and encourage them? For those that could not have children, Father, would you encourage them? Or those that are thinking of a mother that has cared for them and and maybe has gone on, Lord, would you speak to us and minister to us? And may we, through our love for one another, express some of that angst inside of us. May that love come from each one of us as we care and listen to each other's story and allow your love to flow through us. So, Father, just thank you. Thank you for uh, your design in men and women and the love that you pour out to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you, again, if you'll grab this card, this is specifically the card we're looking at today. And on here, we would love for you to fill this out. The reason we want you to fill this out is we want to get to know a little bit about you, some of your interests, backgrounds, skills, talents, all that kind of good stuff. And then we'd love to follow up with you. It may take a little time, but follow up with you and connect with you about this card and find out ways that maybe uh, you could serve at Bergen Park, you can serve in our community. We have a number of people that serve in different ministries like Life's Options we just talked about a few moments ago or Echo. There are numerous places where you can get connected. And so if you fill this out, it's an opportunity for us to really get to know you better, but also a chance for you to find out how can I use some of the gifts and talents and and skills that I have to intersect uh, where God is working in this community. So please grab that. You'll see it down below you somewhere, hopefully. Uh, There's also a pen in the neighborhood. We try to put some pens around there, and so you can grab one of those. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is there's a a card that we passed out last week. It's also uh, in the chair underneath uh, the chair in front of you, and it's an opportunity for us to pray for you. If there is a request on your heart... Uh, we want to pray for you. And one of the joys we had this week uh, was one with the staff just going out there and reading out loud all these requests. There's about 60 requests that are out there on that board. 
and just praying for them. And then as the elders got together, we did the same thing. And during the week, just lifting them up. Because I think when you read through those prayers, you start to see the heart of our congregation. And I'd really encourage you, it'll be up for the next two weeks, just come in, uh, walk by that board, uh, just pray out loud, just read out loud some of those prayer cards. And I think you'll find that your heart is going to kind of go out to that person. But also, what I started resonating with is a lot of the prayers that they were praying and wanted us to pray for matched my passion and desire to see God do that in my life. And so it was just an affirmation of the way God is moving. So, so grab those cards, if you will. Hey, today we're in John chapter 13, so I do want to encourage you to grab a Bible. Again, we have those down in the chair in front of you. Turn to John 13. You can also grab your phone and turn it on. See the glow of God's Word, right? <laughs> in your face. And we're going to jump into John 13. Uh, before we do, let me give you just a picture of what this is about. John 13 takes place actually during the Lord's Supper. So when you start reading the other Gospels, you find out it's during the Lord's Supper, and Luke adds a little nugget of information that's helpful for us, that before Jesus washes the disciples' feet, what happens is this argument breaks out. You know, when you go through the book of John, you find out that when you get to John 13, Jesus is focusing on the cross. He knows his hour has come. You'll see this phrase even in John 13 repeated, my hour has come, the hour of my sacrifice of glorification has come. Jesus knows that he is heading to the cross. And as his mind is on the cross, his disciples' mind is on greatness. And they're arguing, hey, I want to be secretary of state. When Jesus gets to Jerusalem and gets up on that throne and takes over and takes, I'm secretary of state. And the other one said, no, I'm secretary of state. And he said, no, you're the attorney general. Another said, no, I want to be secretary of defense. See, what they're doing is they're arguing. Because they think that Jesus is going to be enthroned in power, which is true. But instead of being enthroned on a throne, he's going to be enthroned on a cross. And the crown that he wears is a crown of thorns. And so as Jesus is thinking of his death and his resurrection and his sacrifice for the sins of the world, here you've got the disciples arguing about greatness. And Jesus steps into this, and I love this in Luke chapter 22. He steps into their pride, and he says to them, in Luke 22, verse 27, for who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? And then he says, but I am among you as one who serves. That in this passage, what Jesus is doing is redefining and challenging our concept of greatness. Disciples think of greatness in terms of title, power, authority, position, influence. Jesus says, guys, I need to turn your understanding of greatness upside down. Because see, I didn't come into the world to sit at the table. I came rather to be the busboy. I came to be the one that cleans underneath the table. I came as one who, who serves. And Jesus uses that image and then speaks into the disciples' life. Because in, at the end of this story, if you look in John 13... In verses 34 and 35, he summarizes what it is that he's done for them. And he says, at the end of John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus concludes saying, a new commandment I give you. And here's the new commandment that you love one another, just as, and here are the key words, I have loved you. So you also are to love one another. 
And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, the key word there is just as I have loved you. I don't know about you, but I like to define love the way that fits for my life. I'm the only one. I like to define love in a way that kind of makes it comfortable for me, you know, to love to the point that I don't have to sacrifice, you know, to love in a way that I get the things that I want in life. I don't want to really love. I just want to love enough to get by. Jesus won't allow us to do that. Because, see, he could say, hey, I just want you to love each other, and then all of us would have this different definition. It'd look completely different according to each one of us, because some of us have grown up in very loving families, I mean, incredibly self-sacrificing, loving. Some of us haven't, and so we wear that. We wear that in our personality and the the way that we're kind of created and the, the way we respond to people. But he says, no, I want you to love each other as... Here's the key phrase, I have loved you, which means, Jason, you got to get out of yourself. You need to get out of your story. You need to get out of what you want, what you think life is about, and you need to come and step into my life and see what I've done for you. So how did Jesus love us? I think that's what this story in Luke chapter, uh, Luke, this isn't Luke, this is John. In John chapter 13, I think that's what he's showing us. I think he's answering the question, on one hand, what does it mean to serve? But I think in another, it's a picture of why Jesus came. That as he washes the disciples' feet, he's saying, look at my life. What is my life about? And therefore, but based on what Jesus' life is about, what is our life about? What is the purpose of life? So how did Jesus love us? The first thing I think we see is he loved us simply because he served us. And he served us not just in serving what was best for him. He served us by pursuing what was best for us. And that cost him his life. So let's jump in, chapter 13, verse 3. And I love this picture. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he had all authority, that he had come from God, and he was going back to God. You see that verse 3? What he's saying is he knew who he was. He knew his authority. He knew his power. He knew his mission. I'd come from God. I'm going back to God. So let me show you now what my life is about. You see the story? I've come from God. I'm going back. Here's what life, here's what my life and my mission is about. So pick it up in verse 4. Rose from supper. He laid aside, and this is all intentional language. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Two things stand out. I think the first picture that I see is that of humility. And not any humility that I've ever seen in this life. I mean, I've seen some humble people do humble things, but not this kind of humility. Jesus, if you imagine the disciples sitting at this table, Jesus is in the center, if you've seen the the picture, right? The painting. He's at the center. That wasn't funny. He's at the place of honor. The disciples are around him. He leaves the place of honor. He leaves the center of the table, and he goes to a place that was reserved for slaves, reserved for servants, 
Reserved for those who had a task that could be ignored, a person that didn't bring value into the room. You just kind of sat them over to the side. They didn't matter. Jesus left his place of honor, and he went, and he became a servant. And you notice in the text how intentional the language is. He takes off his outer garment, which is the garment of his status, of who he is. And what he does is he literally puts on a new garment, a garment that reflects that of a servant. Maybe it has his name on his shirt. And now they know who he is, and they're saying, wait a minute, Jesus, you're not a servant. You're, you're our, our God. You're our king. What you're doing isn't, isn't right, but he's showing this tremendous humility. And he's showing us that humility because in a spiritual sense, that's what he's done for us. In Philippians 2, and I encourage you at some time to go and look at Philippians 2, it's describing Jesus' descent from heaven to earth. And it says in that text that he didn't just come as a man. And it's, it's a big step if you think of God being God and coming as a man. I mean, that's a huge step. The creator entering creation. And, and hey, he could have come as a king. He could have come as a celebrity, somebody popular. But instead, it says he came as a servant, even one who would die on a cross. The depths to which God descended in humility are cosmic. And I think they really go beyond anything we could comprehend because we don't have those categories. We haven't created anything out of nothing and then entered into that nothing and become nothing inside of that nothing. And yet you're the eternal. You're the infinite. You're the all-knowing, all-powerful. God entering that story, the humility that you see, it's, it's, it's earth-shattering. It should begin to shake us. It should wake us up to realize what God has done, the overwhelming story of his grace. But second, not only is he, you see this humility, but the, his mission was that he was a servant, that he didn't come to be served, but to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Now, Peter had a problem with that. You know, some of you are passionate, maybe a little ADD. I think that's kind of his, his bent in life. He speaks and these words come out and then his mind catches up. It's just passion. Everything just kind of comes out. He probably got himself in a lot of trouble. But Peter, he, he's, he's not getting it. He's not liking what Jesus is doing. So if you pick it up in verse 5, it says, And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel. Again, you notice that he's wearing it. It's part of his identity. It's wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Translated, no. You're not going to do this. Have you been in that situation? You know, maybe it's Mother's Day and your, your mom's cleaning stuff up. and You're like, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I'm supposed to take care of you today. But even to a greater extent, have you ever had somebody that you admired, somebody who had a high position, authority, influence, and they took a job, a role, a position that you're like, wait a minute, we've got people who do that. You don't need to do that. I think what Peter's first reaction is, is should be ours. When someone that we identify, that we value as great, is doing something that diminishes their greatness, we're like, wait a minute, you can't do this for me. And there's this guttural kind of reaction, hey, that's not okay. And so Peter pushes back, and yet Jesus answered in verse 7, 
What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. In part, he's saying, I'm going to explain what's going on, but I think the afterwards also refers to after the cross, because what Jesus is doing is, is a picture in some ways of the cross, because he's going to talk later about being clean and unclean, and he's not talking about feet. He's talking about the soul. He's talking about us that it's only God who can cleanse us. And so he's giving Peter this information, and yet Peter won't give up. He said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Now imagine that if you actually believe Jesus is God, and you say, you shall never wash my feet. It's like, how dare you, God? That seemed like a contradiction, except this isn't the first time he's had this confrontation with God. There's a story earlier on where Peter, uh, the question goes out, Jesus asks, you know, who do people say that I am? And all these names come out, and Peter says, but you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And he's like, yeah, I got it right. And he says, Peter, you're right, but I got to go die. And he's like, you will never die. You're not going to die for me. Well, if you did that once with God, you wouldn't think you'd do it twice with God. And yet, let's be honest, we do it all the time. I mean, God is constantly calling me to serve and be a servant. God's even given me the Holy Spirit and, you know, that voice, you need to serve, you need, this, this is an opportunity. And I'm like, shut up. No, it's not. I've got the Word of God. I've got people in my life. I see opportunities to care for my wife, to care for people that God's entrusted to me. And there's this, this thing inside of me that says, no, 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 that's not how it works. Now, greatness is not defined by who I serve. Greatness is defined by how many people I can manipulate to serve me. That's a good day. And Jesus is taking, with the kingdom of God, he's taking all these values, right? Every culture says... That's the powerful guy. That's the important guy. That's the important woman. It's the one that has all these people that look to them. And Jesus is taking that worldview and he's shifting it upside down. And he's saying to Peter, listen, to be great is not about having people serve you. It's about serving those who are truly in need and pursuing what is best for them even when it's the worst for you. Now, we're going to talk about how that's possible. But Peter pushes back. And so again, verse 8 Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. And so Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands, my head. He's like, wash all of me. And you love that kind of shift in his passion. Verse 10, and Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. You see, not all of them will trust him. Not all of them will continue to follow Jesus. Not all of them will be cleansed by his death on the cross. Now, all of them betrayed him, so let's not hold Judas up too high as the betrayer. All of them turned their back. Peter, even more so, we got stories about his betrayal. All of them turned away. And yet, at the end, only one of them fell away, and that was Judas. So if you're there at the table, you know what's going to happen. You know how much money he's going to get. You know what kind of pain you're going to suffer. 
you're going down, you're washing each of the disciples' feet. How do you feel when you get to Judas? I mean, personally, I would say, okay, not this one. I mean, I'll do humility, but not that kind of humility. I'm going to do love, but not that kind of love. Do you think there was a different attitude in Jesus' heart when he washed Judas's feet? No, because it's not about being Judas. Service is not service because of who you serve. Service is service because of who you are. Service is not service because of who you serve. It's because of who you are. And who was Jesus? He was a servant king. It didn't matter how someone responded to him because he wasn't doing it for the pleasure of man. He's doing it for the glory of God. And when you're doing something for the glory of God, you're going to look weird. You're going to start valuing things in a way that don't fit with the culture in which we lived. See, often we serve and we'll say, you know, I'll serve as long as people recognize what I've done. As long as I get a note or some congratulations, right? And that's okay. I'm not saying it's wrong to be recognized. That's, that's, that's in us. And yet, Jesus' identity, he recognized that this is who I am. This is my mission. I came from the Father. I'm going back to the Father. Let me show you what my life is about. It's about honoring the Father by pursuing what is best for others, even when they reject me, even when they crucify me, even when they curse me. You're starting to feel a weight of what Jesus' love looks like? I do. Because then he looks at me and Jason, and he says to Jason, me, as I have loved you, I want you to love others. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh-uh, nope. Need a different passage today, God. I can't handle that. I can't love others the way you love me. And, you know, the beauty of that kind of conviction in the heart is often what we start to do is we start looking at what I need to do, right? You think, how am I going to do that? How's that going to work out? But if you've been following us through this series as we've talked about the glory of God, it's not about what you need to do, first and foremost. It's about the God that you worship and what he's done. It's not about what you need to do. Stop, stop with the list. Start with repentance, you know what repentance means? It's just uh, the way I do this, I'm like, God, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. He already knows that. You're not, it's no earth shattering revelation, right? He knows. But you have to admit it. You have to agree with him. He sees it. And then you say, God, I know you want me to do this, but give me the power, give me the strength. And often the way he does that is, is remind me of what you've done for me. So, why is he doing this for the disciples? Why is he doing this juncture for the disciples? Because there's going to be a day where they're going to have to do that for others. And if they don't experience the brokenness, the humility of what Christ has done for them, then when they go out into the world, they're going to break down. They're going to give up. Ministry's tough. Living for God and serving those that despise us or despise the gospel or want nothing to do with Jesus Christ, the church, or curse us, or whatever it is, and to pursue their best interest, that requires a God-sized passion. It requires a vision that goes beyond what I need and what I want. We have to allow what Christ has done to begin to, to be a weight of grace and glory that washes over us. So Peter says, no, I, I can't do that. I can't do it. And so Jesus goes on, and he begins to describe what has to happen. And so he says down in verse 12, 
And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, so he's putting back on his identity as who he is and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? Now, it's interesting. I would have given a three-point three sermon on this. Jesus gave his life. What's more powerful? An illustration, an example, an act of service, or just simply three truths. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? Because they feel it, they see it, they understand it. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, and so I am. But if I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And so here's the, the key, verse 15. For I have given you an example. In some ways, that word in the Greek is, remember as a kid, you had those things you used to trace, and you'd go from one number to the next, and then you'd find out what it is. He says, that's what I am. I am your example, I'm your pattern that you need to follow so that you also should do just as, just as, just as I have done for you, not as you want to do, but notice he says again, just as I did for you. I think what we love to do is lower the bar in our Christianity. You know what you do when you lower the bar? You push God out of your life. When you lower the bar, you start pushing God out of your life because suddenly you've put the bar so low that you can do it. I mean, let's be honest, right? Can't, I don't need to pray now. See, if God called me to do something that required him and his strength to work through me, then I got to pray. I mean, I have to pray. I have to get into his word. I have to get in community. I got to get to church. I got to worship. All that stuff becomes important because you know you have to have it. See, I think in our Christianity, we push that bar down so low, I don't need to go to church, right? I don't need a small group. I can go without the word of God. How low is our bar? that we don't think we need that. Jesus, what he's always doing, he's, he's taking the bar so high that we, we're like, wait a minute, I can't do that. But that's the beauty of it. Then he says, right, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, all things are possible. That's what Mary said. All things are possible with God. What's he teaching us? He's showing us on the one hand that he loved us by serving us, but he's showing us on the other hand he loved us by giving himself for us. And I think it's only when the weight of what Jesus has done, the weight of his love, the weight of his sacrifice, the, the mystery, the wrestling with it, begins to press on the mind intellectually, but then it's got to get lower. It's got to start getting in the emotions and the heart. And you start to become amazed to the point that Paul, writing to the Ephesians, right? He's writing to Christians. And his prayer for Christians was, I want you to know how deep, wide, long, high is the love of God. Now, wait a minute, Paul. We already know the love of God. I accepted Jesus into my life when I was seven. I know the love of God. He's saying, you don't know the love of God. Because the love of God is something that is so deep and so wide and so long and high it is something that daily we've got to dive into and allow it to wash over us again. What is that picture? It's dying to myself and living for Christ. Beautiful picture of every day. I need to let God's love be my love. I need to let God's wisdom be my wisdom. I need to let God's vision for my life be God's vision and not my vision. I need to die to myself. 
And see, that becomes joy when you realize how much Christ has given you. I think so often we're walking in our burdens, right? We're walking in the things that we have to do. And, and the gospel, and Christ is constantly shifting us over. Start focusing on who he is. He is the lifter of your head. You know where your help comes from? Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So what does he say? Lift your eyes to the hills. We've got to start seeing and glorifying, recognizing how massive and beautiful God is. And when we begin to do that, then we now find the strength to take that step of faith and serve others the way that God has served us. What does it mean to be a servant? I wonder if I asked you in the beginning to define what does a servant mean, and now look at what Jesus defines a servant to mean, where would the inconsistencies be? You know, I'll sacrifice, but not if it costs me. Well, what did it cost Jesus? It cost him everything. But what did he get? Guys, think about it. How did Jesus do this? He did it the same way that we do. The resources Jesus had are no different than the resources we have. Now, I know he was God, so he had a little bit going on. But he had the glory of the Father. He had the Word of God. He had the Holy Spirit. He had a community of idiots always around him, right? We all, and sometimes we feel that way. We're like, these people, they're crazy. They never help me. Well, if look at Jesus. He had the same thing. What did he have to do? He had to set his heart on who God is. He had to allow his heart to be overwhelmed with the, the glory and the beauty and the majesty, and he had to keep his vision in front of him. He had to say, hey, before I wash their feet, Jesus, you need to remind yourself, Jesus, I'm coming from the Father. I'm going to the Father. Why did he do that? Because what he was about to do was hard. And I think we need to do the same thing in our lives. But when we do some opportunity of service, we need to say, you know what? I'm f- <laughs> I was saved by the Father. I'm going back to the Father. My life is for the Father. God, this is for you. I don't know how to do this right now. And so let me ask you, where are you serving like that? And then where are you allowing God to serve you? Because the greatest act of, of service, the greatest way we can humble ourselves is by just simply allowing God to be that, that identity, that affirmation, that hope. And then out of that, allowing him to empower us and say, God, you know, I can't do that. And so the reason we've given you guys those cards is I really want to know, what are, where are those areas in your life that God wants to use you? Would you take that time to fill it out for us? You just take the time to fill that out and allow us to know those things that maybe God has gifted you with. And then through that, together, if all of us are keeping that vision in front of us, serving one another in that way, there's a beautiful image of the kingdom of God. People will come in and say, there's a new power there. I don't agree with those people, but there is something there that is magnificent, and I want to be a part of it because it's a part of the kingdom of God. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that, um, Lord, I thank you that you keep, every time I come to your word, I just see a, a greater vista. It's almost like you've come to the mountaintop again and you see this horizon and your breath gets taken away. Lord, I thank you that the angels long to look into the things of God. Father, they never stop being amazed at your grace and your beauty. Forgive us, Father, for taking you so lightly for taking what you've done so lightly. 
that we're not daily seeking to be overwhelmed uh, by you and and taking you up on the resource, Father, that you've said, here it is. If you ask, you'll receive. And so, Father, guide us in this. And as a church at Bergen Park, would we be that community of service for those around us? In Jesus' name, amen. Let me please stand as we respond in worship.